Good morning, church. Our gospel lesson this, this day, the first Sunday after Easter, the second Sunday of Easter Tide, as it's often called, is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Pick, we pick up where we left off last Sunday on our Easter services, and this is the uh, lectionary reading for today. Uh, before um, I read the scripture, I want to uh, just introduce to you three themes that you are going to hear in these verses. I encourage you to look for each one of them, to listen for them as God's word is being read and you see it there on uh, your screens, whatever those may be this morning. Uh, the first one is, is peace. There is a theme of peace that runs through the Gospel of John, especially in the uh, closing hours and days of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the peace that the crucified and resurrected Messiah brings to his followers is promised in John chapter 14 in the upper room. And he tells them, this is not like the, the, the peace that the world offers, but my peace I give to you. And then on Easter evening, the night of, of the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples and he says, peace be with you. They were locked up behind closed doors. And twice he says to them, peace be with you. The second theme is that of, of a Holy Spirit-empowered mission. The master gives his disciples an assurance. He says, um, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he does something very bizarre. He breathes on them. Now the breath of life all the way back to Genesis is that which animates us, empowers us, and gives us strength. And so this is really the prelude to Pentecost as he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing present here is doubt. Doubt in the face of Christ's resurrection. And it's that third theme that I want to spend some time talking about this morning. When it's hard to believe, what do we do? So listen now to God's word. Scott did an excellent job retelling uh, this story in his children's moment, but I want us also to read it together from the word of God. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, 
the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place, this almost empty sanctuary where a dozen of us have gathered this morning to lead the scattered church in worship of our God. Come, Holy Spirit, come and fill every home that is watching, every life that is listening. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Break open in us a willingness, an eagerness to hear your word, to believe it, to receive it, and obey it. Lord, we are living in desperate times. May our desperation drive us to our knees as we humble ourselves, repent of our sin, and seek your face. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John Kasich, a former candidate for president of the United States in the Republican primary back in 2016, I believe it was, and also, um, also the former governor of Ohio, recently wrote a column in USA Today in which he admitted that the coronavirus COVID-19 crisis affecting the world right now had caused him to doubt his faith. Uh, John Kasich is a confessing Christian. He loves the Lord. But he said his relationship with Jesus had been impacted in a very negative way by this crisis. He wrote, like many of you, I have been in and out of a funk these past weeks Ever since the full force of this global COVID-19 pandemic started to impact our communities here at home. It's a desperate, dispiriting thing to see so much suffering, to see so many people fearful for their lives and their livelihood. Who wouldn't be feeling down and uncertain about what lies ahead? Now, I found it refreshing that a public figure like John Kasich would be so honest, would share this heartfelt admission of struggle, of doubt during a time like this. 
To be sure, not everyone is having a crisis of faith right now. Uh, but I've been deeply troubled in my spirit now for many weeks. And uh, I have many questions. I can't seem to get past the heaviness in my soul as I pray with lament, with tears, and even with anger at times at what I am witnessing. The first time in a hundred years, a worldwide pandemic that threatens the lives of millions of persons. I have to confess that I identify right now a lot with Jeremiah. He's been nicknamed the weeping prophet. And as I read through Lamentations, uh, which is not the most uplifting book of Scripture, I'll tell you. But when I read through Lamentations, I can identify with many of the raw emotions that the prophet is feeling, the things he is saying to, to God. And in the midst of that, there are these glimmers of hope, these seeds of possibility for the future, in which Jeremiah says, But I remember the steadfast love of the Lord. His mercies are new every day. Great is His faithfulness. But I also have my questions, just as Jeremiah had questions. What is God up to right now? I mean, can we safely assume that our nation is in good standing with God? That there's not a need for us to really come to grips with a need for personal as well as corporate repentance at the risk of being judged by a holy God? Does God care about what the world is going through right now? Or as some would say, is he simply powerless to deal with it? I've had many ongoing conversations with God and with some of you over these past weeks about these and so many other questions. And I'm convinced that doubt, that doubt is a normal response to inexplicable events and human suffering. There's nothing normal about what we are going through right now. Amen? I mean, there's very, very little about it that, that is normal. And as a result, we feel kind of disoriented in the course of a day. Um, I find myself feeling lethargic and tired and even confused sometimes. I'm, I'm not making sense to myself in my head. And I think sometimes, oh my, do I have the coronavirus? <laughs> because I can't think as clearly, as rationally as I normally do. These are not normal times, but... But even though we are faced with intellectual and emotional and spiritual doubts, this is not unusual. They are part of our humanity. And we need to remember in the midst of all this that doubt is a vital element to the journey of faith for many of us. Frankly, I wonder if one of the reasons why some people, particularly the younger generations that are coming up, are, are rejecting, are turning away from Christianity, uh, dismissing it as irrelevant because we lack the authenticity and the honesty to acknowledge that we don't have all the answers, that there is much about life that is mysterious and that doubt is a part of the human condition. In fact, I, I know from 
past experience that sometimes doubters are shamed if, as though they lack something fundamentally sound about their faith. And in reality, doubt can be thoughtful. It can be found in committed followers of Jesus who simply cannot take everything at face value. Uh, I was fascinating this week as I was exploring this subject uh, to, to see once again that some of the great saints of the church in times past, heroes we would call them in church history, um, who, who had tremendous struggles with doubt, whose faith was not always strong and unshakable. Martin Luther, founder of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, confessed that crushing doubt led to such an intense depression that, quote, for more than a week I was close to the gates of, of death and hell. I trembled in all my members. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by des desperation and blasphemy of God. John Calvin who for some is the epitome of faith, right? Calvin wrote, Surely while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. Charles Spurgeon famously struggled with depression uh, throughout his life. Uh, there were times when he had to be carried in his chair uh, to the church to preach from the pulpit to hundreds and hundreds in, in England there in his congregation. And he preached on one occasion, I think, when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. He goes, goes on to say that the strong are not always vigorous, the wise are not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. And despite being raised by a deeply spiritual mother, John Wesley, early in his life as a young man, uh, trained at Lincoln College at Oxford University, a very bright, a very intelligent individual who was raised to love God, began to doubt his own security and salvation. And a mentor of his said to him, preach faith till you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. And finally, it's no secret that Mother Teresa, known for her extraordinary work among the poor, um, struggled, we learned after her death through her diaries, struggled with doubt and unbelief and depression for much of her life. She wrote, darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason, the place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, the torture and pain, I can't explain. And she felt this for years, for years in her life. So it seems providential to me that the lectionary reading today is the appearance of Jesus to his disciples following the resurrection. John tells, the, tells us that the disciples were sheltering in place, but not for the same reasons that we are. They were paralyzed by fear. They thought they might soon suffer the same fate as Jesus. All but Thomas, apparently, were present for that first resurrection appearance 
to the disciples behind those locked doors on Easter evening. The others later told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And as you've already heard in in Scott's children's message and in the reading of the scripture, Thomas said, I'm not believing it until I can see it, until I can touch the wounds in his hands and put put my my hand into the, the wound in his side. Now, as a result of this, Thomas has been negatively portrayed in the history of the church as the the disciple who struggled to believe. I mean, his nickname is Doubting Thomas. However, a careful reading of the Gospels reveals that all of the disciples struggled with doubt, even the women, until they physically encountered the resurrected body of Jesus for themselves. Thomas wanted the same experience that some of the others had had previous to his encounter with Jesus eight days after the resurrection. And what is so wonderful about this passage is that Jesus graciously and lovingly, without shaming him, granted his request. In verse 27, Jesus says, put your finger here. And look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Craig Groeschel points out that Jesus didn't scold Thomas for his doubt. He did not belittle him. He didn't write him off. Rather, he greeted him warmly. said, peace to you, Thomas. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed to believe. A calm assurance, a peace, and an encounter with himself that stirred in the heart of Thomas in such a way that he was able to make one of the greatest, strongest confessions of faith in the Scriptures. My Lord and my God. I admire people whose simpler faith is so secure that they can confess the Bible says it I believe it that settles it but I'm not one of those persons and some of you probably aren't either you struggle with issues of faith especially when things are not going well for you or for those you love and especially now in our world I've had a great many questions in my spiritual journey, and I've had some seasons of doubt, of deep, deep struggle, where I wondered if God was with me, if God loved me. But as I have aged and matured in my faith, as Jesus has proven himself faithful to me in those times of suffering and trial and trouble, I've found him to be secure in my soul. I was singing this morning with with uh, Jeremy and with Christina, it is well with my soul. I was singing that beautiful contemporary song and that traditional hymn. And, and, and even though there is lament, there is sorrow and sadness in me over what is happening in our world, there is a peace that endures. Do you have that peace? Even, even in the midst of your doubting. Several months ago, Rebecca Key shared with me her own struggle with doubt during a particularly challenging time. 
And I would like to share her story with you by way of video. Um, it deserves a full hour, but we've got a three-minute clip here, and I'd like for you to watch that with me now as she shares with us how she found faith or renewed strengthened faith in the midst of her own struggle. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I appreciate uh, your willingness to be vulnerable and to talk with us this morning about, uh, about your own struggle. Finally, let me just offer you um, some suggestions in addition to and really reinforcing what she has shared. First of all, allow for, for doubt in your own journey of faith. Uh, it is not abnormal and it's not necessarily wrong or a sin to struggle with doubt in your life. Uh, Jesus, again, didn't call Thomas to repentance. He called him to believe. Uh, number two, embrace mystery. There is much about life and about faith and about Scripture that cannot be fully understood. Uh, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, now we look through a glass darkly. We can't see things clearly now, but a day will come when we will see things clearly face to face with our Lord. Number three, don't stop, stop believing, as the song says. Uh, I love, I, I rediscovered this week this wonderful passage about the father whose son was uh, demon-possessed, full of evil spirits, and he was self-harming, and, and he came to Jesus and pleaded for his child's deliverance. And um, Jesus talked about how that generation was so faithless, lacked the, the, the trust in God to believe. And the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, there is a value to pressing on in spite of doubt and anxiety. Persist in your prayers. Don't give up. Number four, lean on the faithful, as Rebecca said she did on this dear friend who, who until her dying day was praying for Rebecca and loving her and helping her to find uh, a new place of peace in her life and a strength in faith. And uh, finally, uh, pray without ceasing. This is what I have been doing now for weeks, and I find there's a, a, a prayer on my heart, in my mind, on my lips, just all the time. And those prayers are not always intelligible. Uh, they are not always pastoral, uh, but they are heartfelt, and God hears and answers those prayers. You know, tradition tells us that Thomas became a great evangelist in India for 20 years, from A.D. 52 to A.D. 72. This was almost 30 years after his encounter with Jesus behind locked doors with the other disciples. He went on to become a mighty man of faith, and when asked to deny his faith in Christ, he refused. He said, I will never ever renounce Christ. And because of that refusal, they drove a stake through his body, and he became a martyr for the faith. 
getting back to John Kasich, I love what Kasich said in the conclusion of his article. He confessed that for him a real turning point in the midst of his doubts was a six-mile walk that, that he had just talking with Jesus, just walking it out, being with Christ, uh, away from television and newspapers and all the negativity and all the fear-mongering, uh, the doom and gloom. He said he just walked and walked and walked mile after mile until he came to a place of peace. And he says this finally. He says, My faith in Jesus Christ is not a mind game I've learned to play to help me answer some of life's unanswerable questions. This is not a workaround or a get-out-of-jail-free card I choose to play when things get tough. No, this is me knowing with dead solid certainty that we are graced by the most powerful being to ever exist in the universe who cares for us, who cares for our families, who cares about what we do and how we live our lives and the footprints we mean to live behind. He does care. Absolutely. He does.